Rolling. 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 Maybe that's that be it. Rolling. 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 Okay, well, let's do this thing. Well, hey there, church people. One of my favorite things about being a pastor is getting to have amazing conversations with people that are just awesome. Something that I've seen to be true over the years is that church is just better with people that you know, love, and trust. And so this podcast is taking a hack at turning up the relational temperature around here. A chance for you to live through me as I get coffee with church people. My name is Colby Allen. I get to be on the pastoral staff here at College Heights, and today I am joined by my special guest, Dick Crable. What's up, Dick? Been busy all day. Yeah, you've been busy. You've been what, working. What everyone knows where my where my coffee is. Right. <laughs> been <laughs> busy. You've been up since how late? How early? Oh, got about four this morning. Four a.m. See, that's a man right there, <laughs> getting up, crack of dawn. I love it. Well, uh, let's jump into Dick BC. Okay. Yeah, way early, little tiny baby Richard. Tell us about it. Okay, well, I was, <clears throat> my family was deeply involved in church. Mm. And I shared before with some people, uh, I think I was told, I obviously wasn't aware of it, but I was told that uh, the first Sunday out of the hospital, I was in church. Mm. Uh, Dad and Mom lived what they believed. Yeah. And so I just grew up, you know, two-week revivals, two-week VBSs. <laughs> right. Uh, we had the missionaries in our house. We had the revival speakers in our house staying overnight. And many times I got to stay home from school if they were, there so I could sit at the table and mm. listen to the evangelist or the missionary talk to dad and mom during lunch. Mm-hmm. I love those priorities your yeah. family had, right? Yeah. Hey, this is more important than school right yeah. now. You know, you don't need to go to school today. You need to hear this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And dad would always play pranks on the visiting evangelist or something. <laughs> <laughs> Short sheet him or something. Oh, he would do what? Short sheet him. Yeah. You know what that is? No. You turn the sheet half up so that when you jump in bed, you you only go halfway down. And you're... I love it. Then the evangelist the next day who's speaking would say, man, my back's killing me. <laughs> this bed that Crables gave me didn't work. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, they always had traveling evangelists and yes. missionaries coming and staying with you. What did, what did your parents do? Uh, my dad farmed most of the time when I was in, up until I was in college. Mm-hmm. The last two years of my high school, he worked at a as a parts manager in a large Chevrolet dealership. Uh, and I did the farming when I was a junior or senior in high school. Yeah. So the last, any of the spring days I, that were, you were able to be in the field, I just, didn't go to school. Yeah. And I was out out in the farm plowing, discing, yeah. heroin, plant. Yeah. Where'd you, get, where'd you guys grow? West Central Illinois, just yeah. north of Quincy, mm-hmm. just across the river from Burlington, Iowa, mm-hmm. that area. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what kind of stuff did you farm? Uh, I did most of the just the, the grain farm, mm-hmm. you know, planting corn, soybeans, mm-hmm. yeah. oats, wheat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had some livestock, but... What I did was take care of the the uh, green part of it. Right, right. Is that the stuff you'd sell to make a living? But the farm, yeah. the animals were for you. Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, uh, the last two years I farmed in high school. We were in some kind of government program. I don't remember the name mm-hmm. of it now. And actually, one of the payments for that, Dad split it with me. Hmm. That's how I bought a. Engagement ring. Yeah. For a big price of $125. $125. That's <laughs> awesome. That was in 1964-ish. Yeah. And that was probably big bucks. It was to me. Yeah. It's yeah. probably all the money I had at the time. Right. It was worth it. Yeah. 
It was. Yeah. Okay, so you you grow up farming, dad working in a parts store. Mom was a registered nurse. Too. Was she? she worked, yeah. Okay. Faithful, faithful people, love the Lord. Mm-hmm. Siblings? Uh, I'm the oldest of six of us. Uh, five of us survived. Mm. So I, had a, I had a brother that was born after me that died in childbirth. Mm. I have yeah. a, a brother and three sisters. A brother and three sisters. Okay. And are most of them back in Illinois? Yes. Yep. Yeah, they're all still around. Home. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so uh, grew up around there. And then late high school, you start to just do your own thing. You're not going to school. Did you Did you graduate high school? Because I know you went to college. Sure, did sure, you graduate sure, sure. high school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't. As long as my grades were up and yeah. they knew where I was at in the sixties, it wasn't like <laughs> I love that today. You know, it was just a small farming community. Yeah. So uh, they, huh. they knew I was probably I wasn't out partying, causing yeah. havoc somewhere. Right. So yeah, graduated high school in '64 uh, and thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. But decided after about a year of college that wasn't what I wanted to do. Besides that, Linda and I. Got married early, like we were 19. Yeah. Just out of, I had one year of college under my belt, University of Illinois. We got married and started having kids, and yeah. <clears throat> which we'd planned to have 10 kids and raise them on a farm. Yeah. Uh, which was an interesting journey. But So go back, rewind. How did you meet Linda? We both went to a one-room country school. Mm-hmm. And the first time I met her, we was playing softball against each other. But later on, I was just a bashful country boy, and mm-hmm. she invited me to go to a Sadie Hawkins Day dance, <laughs> and I did, and it was all over. That's awesome. So if she hadn't asked me out, I'd probably been single today. Right, I was right. so bashful. <laughs> oh, man. She's the one, you probably heard me tell the story, she... I told people we had to get married because I was out in the I was out in the pay I was yeah. out in the field early one morning and this car pulls in and she gets out with a rolls a blanket out and puts out a full breakfast spread coffee and everything and wow said, well I had to marry her you have to marry her after that <laughs> anybody come out that early in the morning feed me when you're 17 18 years right. old right ladies right? Yeah. if you're listening <laughs> if you are listening you know what to do yeah just. Through the stomach, bring, right. bring them food right. early in the morning. Yeah, way to way to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. And then, so you guys meet. You're dating. You graduate high school. You go to community college. I went to University of Illinois. University of Illinois. Champaign Urbana. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that for a little bit because there's sure. some interesting things in your university experience. When I first moved into the dorm at the University of Illinois, uh, I was met by the navigators. Mm-hmm. And uh, got involved in the campus group, uh, the college campus group, Ron Simpkins, Jerry Gibson. And uh, just a very active uh, campus group. Yeah. Involved in that even through after we got married. Right. Still involved in the campus group. Uh, I haven't asked this before, but do you remember how you guys met? Like, how was it that you met those guys? What what the happened there? Group, that... uh, hmm. You know, I'm not really sure. It was probably went to Weber Street Church of Christ uh-huh. when he was there. Yep. And it was probably through them, yep. through this, the, some of the ministers at, right. at uh, Weber Street. You know, I asked because, you know, here we are, first week of September. The, these last couple of weeks we've been meeting mm-hmm. so many college students and been doing stuff on campus. And so, you know, it, it's it's fun to think, oh, my goodness, I could have met a future Dick Crable, this man of God that it's like, God could use a simple little meeting mm-hmm. moment to, to change someone's trajectory. And um, that's pretty cool. So you get involved with the navigators. What did that do in your life? I've heard some really cool things about the navigators, especially the navigators of old, right? I just... It's an interesting I remember ministry. them encur- just being encouraging. Yeah. I mean, I had a church background. I'd yeah. been going to church all my life. Yeah. Uh, I was baptized when I was probably 11 or 12 mm-hmm. years old. I just remember uh, thinking, this is a family thing, and I'm going to be a part of this family. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's when I made that decision, was probably 11 or 12 years old. 
and from that point on, it was just multiple people in my life. Yeah. I mean, coaches, Christian coaches yep. that coach with the idea that we we're going to teach kids. Mm-hmm. They didn't, it was an overt, it was more of a covert thing, I guess mm-hmm. I would say. Yep. Uh, they lived, they lived what they right. believed. Yeah. And then of course, uh, preachers, uh, but the most influential preachers was one, uh, Wally Blanchard. Hmm. He actually taught us a men's leadership training course. And, uh, and you went over to his house for that, right? Uh, I thought I remember you going over to a church leader's house or something like that, and he did. Oh, that I, was later on. Okay. Uh, was at the University of Illinois, and it was one of the one of those epiphanies, I guess you'd mm-hmm. say. Uh, I'd grown up in the church, and we'd had a, several young people that were involved in the cult, witchcraft. Oh wow! Uh, LSD was the big, <clears throat> excuse me, was the big uh, drug of choice back at that in that day, early seventies. And they they had uh, accepted Jesus, and they were they were in the front row of church, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And here I'd been in church all my life, and I thought, what's all this excitement about? I wasn't, I mean, I was there, but, you know, wasn't juiced about it. Right. It was just right. kind of, this is what we do. Right. And we were at a, <clears throat> Phil and Polly Hoggett's house. I know I can remember them. Hmm. I can remember like it's yesterday. Had some kind of a Sunday school class meeting and somebody yep. said something that just, it hit me like a brick. You know why you're not excited about this? Because you don't realize you're going to the same hell they were going to. Oh, my goodness. Your destination was the same as them on their occult acid trips. Yeah. They're excited because they knew where they were headed and where they're not going now, where they're, who's rescued them. Yeah. And they've developed a relationship with Jesus. It wasn't just they're saved. They had, they had a relationship. Yeah. I said, well, I've got a lot of head knowledge, but I don't know that I have a relationship yeah. here that's going on. Right. And it was just like somebody turned a light on. Mm. Like, oh. And my mom had purchased me a American Standard Study Bible, mm-hmm. which, honestly, I hadn't read that much. Yeah. But I got into reading it and following some of the footnotes and the things mm-hmm. yep. you can do, and, and then got involved in church at Weber Street and asked me to be a deacon. Hmm. So, How old were you when they asked you to be a deacon? Oh, early 20s. Yeah. Uh, would have been probably, let's see, probably 23, 24. Yeah. And I then, love the, the high expectation for young men right there. Yeah. You know? And we were youth sponsors. Yeah. You're not an adolescent, you know, at 23, 24. No. You're a man. Yeah. And we're going to treat you like a man in the church. You well, know, I had, let's see, we had kids at... Uh, 20, 22, and 24. Yeah, so by 24, right. we had three children. That's and, right. And going to school and working. <laughs> That's right. So it was, and doing youth sponsors at church, a great church, uh, good people just took us under their wing, mm-hmm. bailed us out of a lot of things. I yeah. mean, you know, just mm. people that I look back on, they really, they had a great influence in our life too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you guys get married at 19. Mm-hmm. You've been doing school, navigators, these kind of things. Um, what's next? Kids, career, those kind of things. Well, it, with kids and responsibilities and needing to have some money to live on, so I was working two jobs usually, mm-hmm. uh, going to school, yep. taking one class at a time. took me from 64 to 73 to get my bachelor's degree. <laughs> And somewhere along the line, we kind of, we were, we still had that dream of having a bunch of kids and raise them in a, in a rural setting. Just yeah. thought that was an ideal way to teach kids how to live. Yeah, <clears throat> so, ten kids. Yeah, ten. Eighty kids. acres. Is that right? Well, that was later. Yeah. Okay. Ten, I didn't know if that ten, was a thing you had in your mind at no, that time. No, just ten kids in a farm. Yep. Because back in the '60s, a lot of the Farmers, small farms are becoming corporate farms, mm. bigger farms, and a lot of times they were hiring college graduates right. to help them manage the right. farm. Well, this is the way to go. Yeah, I'll get a degree in agriculture, 
we'll get a job helping manage a farm. We'll yep. have a bunch of kids. Yep. And turns out we could only have three. We were supposed to have three, but we had three. And I never got a job working on a farm. I interviewed several places. and I kind of developed an attitude. I remember being really nervous going into the first couple interviews I did. Yeah. Well, Lord, if you, this is where you want me to go, I'll do fine in my interview and it'll happen. Yeah. If I don't do fine, then it's kind of what I learned in our, I'm going to skip way ahead. Yeah. In our uh, spiritual formation class that mm-hmm. the Wheelers led us through, it's the prayer of prayer of uh, indifference. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, God, help me through this. If it goes the way I want to do fine. If it doesn't go the way I want to, that's fine too. Mm. And it kind of sounds bad to say the prayer of indifference, but it means I'm just going to go into this and my eyes open at this way. I'm going to go, Lord, take me that way. And if not, yep. take me a different direction. Yep. So that's kind of the way I went into the interviews, and they mm. never they never panned out. So uh, I graduated and then moved back to West Central Illinois home. Just did dodd jobs for a long time. Yeah. And uh, uh, through a series of my oldest son getting sick and having mm. to have some surgeries, and I didn't have insurance, I told a doctor at the hospital, uh-huh. I said, hey, I need to get him out of here quick because I don't have any money and I don't have any insurance. And I need to pay for this. What did he say? He said, what kind of job are you looking for? I said, well, I've been working in a research lab for seven, eight years. Would you like to work in a lab? Sure. He said, when could you start? I said, tomorrow. He said, how about next Monday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoa, slow down, Buckaroo. <laughs> and that was my interview. Yeah. Wow. Burlington Hospital in Burlington, Iowa. Mm. So I went to work on a Monday morning. Never worked in a hospital in my life. Went to work in a lab and worked there for, I think probably two or three years, ended up uh, being second in charge of the chemistry lab because I'd worked in chemistry. Mm-hmm. and uh, I'd managed a research lab at the University of Illinois for seven years. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so they put me in the lab, was doing the chemistries and drawing blood. And uh, About that time was when we did that leadership training course. Yeah. I was talking about earlier. And uh, Wally. Wally Blanchard, mm. yeah. He was, a, he was from Minnesota Bible College, actually. Did you say you were in Iowa at this time? I was in Burlington, Iowa, working in the hospital. Burlington, it's Iowa. It's right on the river, just across okay. the river from okay. Iowa. Yeah. I was like, how did you end up over there? Yeah, yeah. just 25 miles from yeah. where I was in Illinois. Okay. And uh, part of that leadership training class was making plans, how to set, set plans and yeah. make them happen. So Dad and I decided we were going to take our families to the North American in Denver that year. Mm-hmm. It had been 76, July 76. So we take our three kids and Dad and Mom, and we load everybody up, and we go to Denver to the convention and a series of things. We don't have time to go through now, but we ended up with another guy traveling with us back. We actually drove down I-44 right by Joplin, never dreaming I'd ever end up living in Joplin. Right. And uh, we got that guy home, and... We got home, and my dad was always, hey, we'll take kids, you two go out. We had, I think we had $25 left over from our budgeted expenses for the convention. <clears throat> and uh, uh, Lynn and I went out, and I don't know if you, we would sit there, and she looked at me, and I looked at her and said, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Oh, what are you thinking about? Well, we were both thinking we'd been to the booths at the convention, in Lionai Christian Children's Home, there was a Big Sky, I think. There was an Iowa and Cookson Hills Children's Home. We had both come to the conclusion that we needed to look into this Cookson Hills. So mm-hmm. that was in July, and then in September, we called them. Yeah. Went down there and spent three days, spent actually Labor Day weekend, down at the main unit of Cookson, down at Kansas, Oklahoma, out yeah. on a thousand acres. Been there. <clears throat> Me with my hair down right. on my shoulders right. and big old black beard. I had the same thing when I was there. Minus <laughs> the black beard, mine was red beard. But when I went to Cookson Hills and <laughs> I spent a couple weeks there and I did the same thing. Yeah. Big old long hair to my collar and big old nasty beard. And, yeah. <laughs> and they, they called us into the office when we were getting ready to leave. We, while we were there, we house set for a couple, didn't have days off. Yeah. They, uh, we gave them our car and they took off. So we had 15 kids. 
our three and their 12 that they left yeah. with us. Yeah. Yeah, for three days and never had devotions for 12 kids in my life. <laughs> so, so, you know, we did that. And after we got done, uh, Ralph Gorman and Lawrence Hallam asked him down the office, we'd like to have you come, but, but. you need to get legal. Legal was hair off, oh my above goodness. the ears, and clean shaven. So I went down to see Keith Langston, who was the barber. Said, "Make me legal." So he did. <laughs> I think there were some people shocked when we got back to, yeah. to La Harp, Illinois. It was like, "Okay, what happened?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we decided to go. And then, bottom line is uh, that was September, November eighth. We moved to the main unit of Cooks and Hills. Moved in on a, got there on a, like a Friday night. Saturday morning, woke up. We had 12 kids in dining hall duty. We hadn't been here 12 hours. Right. Okay, so any, from the world's point of view, what you just decided makes zero sense. My boss told me that. So you have three of your own. Mm -hmm. You... Make, take that times five now. So now you have 15. Why? Why would you guys do that? Well, we had talked about before we even got married. We, we wanted to have kids. Yeah. And it was just something that was, I don't know, it was just something I think the Lord just planted in us. Mm. And honestly, we went into it pretty naive. Sure. Uh, we thought we'd move down there and the kids would love us because we're going to give them a safe place mm-hmm. and love them. And yep. it didn't work out that way, but still it was something we, we felt like we needed to be doing. Mm. We just felt called to do it, I guess yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Uh, we enjoyed it. it. It was raising kids on a farm. And then, of course, the story goes, oops, the story goes from there that uh, after two months at the main unit down in Oklahoma, they said they had done some other stuff, interviewed, talked to us about some stuff. We didn't realize what was going on, but we didn't even know Album, Missouri existed. Right. And they said two months late after we'd moved down there in November, they said, we'd like you to move to Album, Missouri. Where in the world is Album, Missouri? So I came up and visited, and I'll never forget Colby. Driving down, you know, where Sayokamo camp yeah. is. We're going to Sayokamo for fall retreat. Yeah. College ages. Yeah. Oh, the house before you go in the that gate. That was the first church camp I went to when I became a Christian. Yeah. What year? It would have been summer of 2009. Okay, we were gone by then. Yeah. We left in 96. But yeah. I, I never forget driving down the road. It, at the time, it was 80 acres, and we had 13 kids because we brought one with us, and they had a bunch up here already in R3. And I I mean, it just literally made the hair stand up on the back of my mm-hmm. neck. Oh, we'd given up on this dream for 10 years. Right. And here it is. Here it is. You want 10 kids? I'll, I'll do you three better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a farm, and they're paying, yeah. they're paying you. Yeah. $100 a month. Right. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> a piece. $100 a month a piece. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's what were you making at the lab? Oh gosh, it was interesting. Charles was a manager, and I'd been interviewing at jobs while I was there because mm-hmm. I wasn't making enough. I didn't thought he was making me enough. And when I take time off, I'd say, "Hey, I'm going to take some time off." He say, "Where are you going?" I said, "Well, I'm interviewing for a job." They said, "Well, just to be honest with you." So I'd go interview, and I'd come back, and I did that about the third time I did it. He, he was, I thought, "Oh, this is getting." Then we went to Cooks and Hills, came back, and I went in and said, "Hey." Uh, well, first of all, before that, he he called me in after one of my interviews and said, "Hey, uh, uh, he talked to you." And I thought, "Well, he's just going to fire me." Yeah, I've been looking yep. for jobs, and he closed the door, which I thought was a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, "What would it take to keep you?" And I think I was making two something at the hour. This was in nineteen seventy six. So $2 an hour wasn't bad, but he said, what would it take to keep you? And he gave me a dollar an hour raise. Yeah. Right oh on the spot. Goodness. And then a couple of weeks later, I told him I was going to quit. <laughs> he said, how much money are they taking you? I said, $100 a month. He looked at me, Kobe, and said, you can't do that. I said, well, 
We're going to. We're, we're about to. We're, we're going to do it. So we did, yeah. sold everything we had. And we had a little bit of stuff, uh, but not a lot. We didn't have a bed. So got down there and moved in and yeah. scrounged some stuff up and started going. So you took maybe a third. You were making about a third of what you probably were bef- before? Probably eight times. Oh, yeah, yeah, about a third. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, you know, when you worked at Cooks and Hills at the time, I mean, you had your food, your shelter, yep. a vehicle. So yep. it wasn't That's like right. you were, oh, it no. wasn't a huge poverty thing no. or anything. No, You didn't have a lot of extra spending money. Right. But, yeah. Right. It was a great experience. I'd do it again. Yeah. So you get in there with 13 kids. You got a big old 80 acres. How long did you guys do that? 20 years. From 20. 76 to 96. 20 years. How many kids came through your home? Linda kept telling me we were at 84. I, she kept track of it. Mm. And I think 84. Plus our three. So, yeah. 84. Man. And eventually, God. eventually uh, probably 90, they moved us to Mountain View. And I managed the Mountain View unit and the Alba unit together. So we only had a couple kids in our house at a time, but I had three sets of house parents, three houses, a social worker, mm. and did all the intake and the care plans and the discharges and troubleshooting and all that sort of thing. Mm. Fundraising. It was busy. I love, <clears throat> maybe this feels disconnected, but it makes sense in my brain that think of Abraham and, and how he said, I'll make you a father of many nations. Hmm. And this, this like, uh, uh, the same shape happens over and over. And God does in your life that he, it's, he's going to make you a father, make you a mother, you know, make you and whether it's biological or not, that's Mm -hmm. when you become like Jesus, when you are like becoming like God made us to be, we are fatherly. We are motherly to those Mm -hmm younger than us to those mm-hmm. weaker than us you know whether they're younger or not that we that's like a care that's a posture it's it's who we are and it man that's so cool like yeah. he made you had a, that desire and he made you into a father of 87 84 young, yeah well 84 eight, plus eight years plus right yeah yeah so it's like I, I, th- I think one of the one of the verses james is always stuck in my mind mm-hmm. it says uh, pure religion and faultless is this take care of the widows and orphans right. in their distress and that that sort of thing was kind of in our mind too. Mm. Is, is it just that seems like something that needs to be done? So yeah. do it. Who else is going to do it? Yeah. Who else is going to take a pay cut? Who else is going to do X, Y, and Z? That's a lot of work. That's yeah, a well, tough it, thing. It was more work than I realized when I started. That's right. <laughs> so at the end of that twenty years, I mean, how are you doing? You start. Are you? Why'd you Why'd you stop doing it? Well, I was managing both places. It was a struggle to get house parents. Yeah. And I'd been just been going twenty four seven, and I didn't know at the time. I didn't know why I would quit. Mm. Honestly, in in hindsight, I was just shot. Yeah, just burnt out. Yeah, Linda having some health problems at the time already and mm. not a lot but some and it was just I was just wore out just uh, tired uh, I don't I think I was I didn't like the fundraising part of it that was not my thing mm. it was not hard to do but I just didn't like it yeah and at the point where we didn't have a lot of house parents and nobody seemed interested. Yeah. I I was burnt out, but I think I think the Lord was just ready for me to move on too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you what did you learn through that? Now looking, you know, looking at people my age mm-hmm. and you went through twenty years of work, ministry life, raising kids, following the Lord. Um, doesn't sound like there's a high value for Sabbath 
for for boundaries for those there wasn't structures put in place for soul care for um you know it's pour everything out ring it out what what would you say to people that are younger than you after that experience how would you if you were to lead that 20 years and be the boss of all of that how would you do it differently Well, it would, it would, I would encourage them to do something like the spiritual retreat that we've had here. Yeah. Learn to take a sabbatical. Yeah. Just get away for a while. Go refresh. Mm-hmm. The, our getaways were short, and we always joke because we said it would take three days off. It took us two days to quit talking about the kids. What That's we right. Do the kids, and the third day, oh, we got to go back. <laughs> My sabbaticals were basically, I would lay on the floor in the front room and listen to Rob Kime. I think it was Rob Kime that did the night sounds. Whoever did night sounds Mm. on KLBC back in the day. Mm. It was some soft, quiet music. And uh, kids would go to bed at 10 o'clock, and I'd lay on the floor and listen to night sounds for about 30, 40 minutes and go to bed. (laughs) That Mm. was my sabbatical. Yeah, But I just... I've told Guy recently, I said, don't burn out. It's The saying back when I started was, I'd rather burn out than rust out for mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand you need to work hard, mm-hmm. but you need to rest. God made you to rest. Mm-hmm. He rested. Absolutely. He went away to he rest. He rested at creation. He, Jesus rested. Mm-hmm. He worked hard Yeah. During, when he wasn't resting, but he did rest. Yeah, one of my favorite... Sayings, I think it's Dallas Willard or Ortag uh-huh. said, uh, relentlessly eliminate hurry from yeah. your life. Dallas Willard, yeah. Be busy, but don't be in a hurry. Yeah. So I think that's it's kind of the way my life is now. I feel like I keep busy, but I'm not in a hurry. Have you read The uh, Re- Relentless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer? No. It is worth your time. And I mean, it's, it's based off of... <clears throat> Sorry, I was looking... My voice changed because I was looking behind me at my bookshelf. It is worth your time. It is really good. I'll have to read it. I like to read, so. And he he quotes, you know, you said you're not, you know, you got a lot of things going, but you're not in a hurry. Right. He quotes, um, I think it's a Japanese theologian who talks about God moves at the pace of love. Have you heard that? Mm-mm. And the pace of love he calls three miles an hour because that's the average walking, walking speed, speed. Of a person, so he's not running; he is mm-hmm. walking with people. Yeah, and that's the pace of love. Yeah, when you're busy, I don't think that's part of it. Was I got too busy working for Jesus and not taking time to listen to Him? Mm. I think we get. I get so busy. I think our whole world culture gets busy. Yeah, and God's waiting for us to sit down, and be quiet, and listen to Him. Mm. I've never heard someone say that. I'd rather burn out than rust out. That was the saying. Yeah. Hmm. And it and it seems. I mean, it rings true. It resonates. That yeah. That seems like the way that people. A lot of people have operated. Mm-hmm. Slow yeah. down. Yeah. Okay. It, so go it's, ahead. Considering just using that, I just I think about it when I take a walk in the morning and it's cool and. You start to notice things that you never noticed in creation, even mm-hmm. you never noticed before. I was I was walking a while back on a nice morning, and I, I saw a spider web come down across the driveway, and a little spider come up, with it. and the sun shining through it, and the dew was on it. I thought, Man, that's a beautiful little thing. And I would have never noticed that, but I saw, gosh, God created that little spider so he could took a web up there, fifteen twenty feet away, and attach it over there. Pretty amazing. And just sit there and think about how God made that little spider, mm. which I don't even like spiders. But. <laughs> <laughs> he made that beautiful little disgusting yeah. creature that I hate. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's, you just start noticing or you just walk along and you just smell the, the honeysuckle and you stop and you think, oh, you know, you're offering the gods a fragrant to him. That's fragrant like that smell of those honeysuckle when you're walking through the mm. the driveway. Yeah. 
you ever read, um, I think it's Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. He talks about these nine different pathways that we often take. Most people will take to God. One of them is the naturalist. Mm. You know, someone who worships through creation. It's noticing creation. And you talk a lot about observing creation being a bit of like a worshipful thing for you. Mm. You go on lots of walks. And I feel like most times that we hang out, you <laughs> mention something about an animal you've seen, yeah. a, a little moment that you've seen. And I love that you, I love that you point me to that. You know, I, my wife and I, when we go on road trips, I think I, I scare her cause I'll, I will see scenic things uh-huh. and I'm like, she's like, look at the road. <laughs> cause I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. And I love it. Cause I'm like, I want to be like you in that. God's that creation like, is yes. amazing. Well, there's the telescopes they got looking out yeah. into the yeah. vastness of the universe. The James Webb. Is that the new one? Yeah. 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 Or it's. It's looking at the human body fascinates me. Too. Yeah, just yeah. How, it's amazing how yeah. it works. It's just an amazing. In fact, I was doing a health prayer this morning and I got talking to one of my people that came through and it's man, it's just the human body is just amazing, isn't it? Yeah. He was wanting to know how the how blood pressure works. So yeah, right. it's it's a God thing. Mm. He made it so it works. I love it. Yeah. So cool. Okay, so you finish up at Cooks and Hills. Mm-hmm. Linda is starting to experience She's, health problems. Yeah, she had a chronic illness. Mm. Can, do you want to go into into Linda's story? Would sure. that be okay? Because I think sure. um, there are people listening who have lost someone who've gone through chronic illness, through who have um, gone through some hard things like you have, and I think... Um, your story could be sure. meaningful. So tell us, she starts to experience some chronic illness, and then what happens? Uh, it was it was a gradual. Yeah. I can remember first she started having trouble walking, and then she walked with a cane. Then we had a walker, and eventually we ended up with a, I don't know if you ever saw it, the little electric mm. scooter mm-hmm. that I had. We drove down, I had to get a car to put her in, and... How old was she when she started having the trouble walking? Oh gosh, that was probably she's been gone ten years, so that's probably been fifteen or plus years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know one time she got in. We had a Sunday school class here, and she couldn't get up. I had Doctor Arts come down and look at her and said he wasn't sure what's wrong. Will you get checked out? So. Yeah. But she just had trouble walking. She had a her joints were always arthritic and uh, just hurt constantly. She was in constant pain. Uh, really had a hard time controlling the pain. She'd get her knees injected and and on IV medication of some sort. I can't remember the name of it right now, but every other week. So mm. In a wheelchair for the last, gosh, oh, since before 9-11, a lot uh, yeah we moved in 11 so probably for the last couple of years anyway she was in a electric wheelchair yeah and she had to have help getting up and so i mean was that like a decade of a wheelchair like if it was 9 11 mm-hmm. and she's been gone 10 years it's mm-hmm. been 22 she, she, years she died so in 2013 2013 so the wheelchair was less five years or less yeah. totally in a wheelchair yeah I'd have to go back and right. do some memory. Sure. Uh, wow. My kids could probably tell you better than sure. I could the times. Honestly, some of those times are just really vague to me anymore. Yep. I, th- I think trauma messes with yeah. our memories. Plus, she would. She didn't sleep well at night. I was trying to work because I had to work. Yeah. I'd have money to pay the bills. Yep. And, and uh, uh, I'd come home. I'd leave work as early as I could. Dash home. Oop, take care of her. And, yeah, she'd get up two or three times in the night. I had to get her up and get her to the bathroom, get her back to bed. And later on, she developed some bed sores I had to take mm. care of. And and uh, I, she was wonderful, though. The day she died, Colby, she looked. I was sitting there. In the, she was in nursing. I had to put her in nursing home. Couldn't, couldn't take care of her anymore by myself. And... Uh, 
I was sitting here in the nursing home on a, it was on a Sunday night, and she just looked at smile and said, "Poor Dick." <laughs> that was just the way she was. She yeah. was smiling, all that smile all the time. Poor Dick. She's. I think she's saying, "Well, you get left, and I'm going to go." So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it was hard. But uh, you know, you sign up. And it's, it was a permanent thing with us. That's right. Uh, How long were you guys married? Uh, we got married '65, and she died in uh, seven. Thirteen. Uh, Thirteen. So. Forty-eight be, years. Forty-eight years, mm. and we dated for three years before that. So, we'd been together fifty years, basically, in the sense of there was nobody else. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was. It was. And I would say <clears throat> it was interesting. Interesting sidelight in my. This morning, I'm taking blood pressures at a at a health fair, and I had two ladies come to ended up talking to me for like five or six minutes. And one of them, I said, your blood pressure is this. She says, you know, I'm stressed out. My, you know, her husband had died just about a year and a half ago, I think she said. And so she sat there and just visited with me. And it's interesting, some of the common things that I asked her if she'd been in a grief share group. Nope. And I said, well, if you need one, I know where we can get you a grief share That's group. That's right. She said, interested. So she took my number and I don't know if she'll call me or not. She yeah. does. I said, oh, I can get you in a grief share group. I know there's several around. So. Started one last night. Yeah. I, yeah. Said, I know one's College Heights, but there's others. But uh, she sat there and talked to me for five or six minutes. Yeah. She said, yeah, I just feel like I'm on autopilot. And I, I told her I'd felt like I was on autopilot. She said, well, that's exactly how I feel. Mm. So it's interesting how, you know, some of my coworkers said, why are these people always talking to you? Well, if you sit there and just listen to you them. listen, yeah, that's one of the things I've learned to do. Again, one of my verses, just James says, "Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry." That's right. Man's anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. And I kind of took that to heart several years ago. I ended up making several speeches out of James for a church thing, and <laughs> that just that really stuck with me. Was be quick to listen. And tried to do that a lot. I find that we don't listen well in meetings or anything. We always talk over people. And mm. so I've tried to make it a habit of taking time to listen. That's another thing that I'll put out a punch for the for the uh, spiritual formation class that the Wheelers mm. have been doing. Yep. Here. I, that's one of the things you, you learn to do in that class is just sit and be quiet and listen yeah. to other people and to God. Because people don't get a chance to really speak out totally what they want to say. Yeah. It's mm. an important thing to do. It is. I love it. Thanks for sharing about Linda. So in the 10 years since then, mm-hmm. what's that What's that looked like for I would, you? I would, say, a, I would say it was the first Five years, I was probably on autopilot. Really, I understand now why people say don't, don't make any major decisions for a year after a spouse dies. Yeah, because I was thinking foolish things. I was mm. thinking, I was thinking about I need to replace her. I need to get somebody else in here. And one of my good friends, Mark Francis, mm-hmm. you know Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, about two two weeks after Linda died, I. I'd even looked up a number for this widow lady I knew up home. And I yep. thought, well, I'll just call her up. Somewhere in my mind, I thought, well, that's just dumb. Because I know men that in my sit- had been in the same situation, had gotten married to a high school sweetheart sure. within six months, and it was, a, it was maybe not a disaster, but it was close. So I, Mark called me up and said, hey, I want to take you out to breakfast. Mm. And in hindsight, Mark had been our counselor for the kids at Cooks and Hills and their families for several years, so he knew us. So we met over at the uh, IHOP. I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, what are you thinking? And I told him, and he looked at me and said, you don't want to do that. Mm. And I said, I know I don't, but I needed somebody to look me in the eye and say, you don't want to do that. 
That's right. So it just, uh, I guess that point out to me the value of having a close group around. Somebody that can speak into you. That's right. That's not afraid to say some hard things. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Or even ask the question. What do you What do you think about doing? Yeah. Well, here's what I'm thinking. No, that's not a smart thing to do. So. I love his boldness to. You know, he could that could have damaged your relationship. You know, you could have yeah. been mad at that. You could have been, yeah. well, no, I want to. That's what yeah. I want to do. Why? How dare you tell me mm-hmm. what I do and don't want to do? And he went out on a limb because mm-hmm. he cares he for you. He did. And he sees it. He sees you, you know. And we want to be known, right? You know, the idea of being all alone. Mm-hmm. Being alone, that's so scary. Yeah, it's... I said, some people say they like they'd like to be alone, get away from people. I said, mm-hmm. being alone is kind of like having your favorite ice cream, but too much of it. <laughs> After a while, it makes that you so sick. Good. That's yeah. so good. Because you know, ice cream's good, but you a couple quart of it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> being alone is good for a while, and then it gets yeah. kind of not so good. Yeah, that's a good one. I I like that ice cream. That ice cream analogy. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> it was it was interesting. One of the interesting journeys of being alone after 50 plus years of not being alone is, I'll never forget what first time the elders here had a, uh, come with your spouse to, a, mm-hmm. it was a game thing or something mm-hmm. they had. That was about the first time it dawned on me, I'm going to this thing and I'm, I'm the weird person. Yeah. I'm the only one by myself here. Mm. This is, and they did a great job. The other people, the people around here have done a wonderful job. I mean, the elders and their wives and the people have just, I don't know how people exist without it. Yeah. Mm. They just made sure that I didn't feel, they couldn't keep me from feeling it, but that that feeling didn't become mm. overwhelming, I guess. That's good. They couldn't keep me from feeling it. Yeah. When you feel alone, you feel alone. I mean, yeah. yeah. And no one can prevent that. No. But they can tell you, hey, yeah. we're here for you. <clears throat> we got you. I'll tell you, one of the things that happened about the aloneness was our first retreat for the spiritual formation. Uh, they have us do this exercise, which I didn't like, but it was good for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, God has always put me in uncomfortable positions. Yeah. And, and uh, we met around the circle, and you make these clay things, and then you have to get up in front of 30 people and say, this is resembles where I'm at now spiritually, emotionally, whatever. Mine was, I just, I was alone. And during that retreat, I got to read, is it Mark, Mark 4 that talks about? No, it's not Mark 4 that talks about Jesus on a cross. Mm. Is it not Mark Four? It's <laughs> later on, but anyway. You later, yeah. I would just, I just sit down by myself because you love, you get a lot of quiet and alone time. So I'm just sitting, thinking about, gosh, I'm alone. I hate this. I don't like being alone. It's, it's just, <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. And I read this story about Jesus hanging on a cross, and he says. <clears throat> My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it dawned on me, Jesus was totally alone. Even God had abandoned him. Hmm. Wow. So he knew. He knew at a really deeper level than I did. God hasn't abandoned me. But he was abandoned. But he felt it. And he felt it. Yeah. And I, that just one of those things when you take time to stop and and not read tons of chapters, but just read a little bit and think, what's God got to say to me here? And that just spoke volumes to me about being alone. I still don't like it, but you know what? Uh, I always you need to know that, see what the truth is and. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, there's probably something I could do, but not something wise I can do about it. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. He is our great high priest. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Absolutely. Mm. I kind of learned that with the kids at, at the children's home because I used to get frustrated because... You know, they would come and then social service say they're tired, they got to go. And I said, well, they're not ready to go. They're going to go back. And you just had to, had to think through that about, okay, who's in charge of this? What's my job? And he's in control. And no matter what you think, it's interesting. It's just one of the things that happened to me recently. We had a young man in our house for five years. And through a series of things, he ended up moving down to the other unit and ended up leaving Cooks and Hills. And I thought, man, I wasted five years of my life with mm. him. I wasted. And here about three or four months ago, I get this message through LinkedIn. And I'm not even a member of LinkedIn because right. I'm, not, I'm not looking for a job. Right. Yeah. But this thing pops up on me. I said, you got a message from LinkedIn. It's, uh, it, well, I'll call him Ray. He's out in California and he texts me and says, emails me and says, uh, are you the Dick Crable that I lived with for five years? If you are, you're the one that taught me what the word no means. And you were, uh, I can't remember how I exactly put it, I saved it, but he said, you were instrumental in uh, bringing me to a relationship with Jesus. So that was 40 years ago. So I find God does little, one of those uh, serendipitous things, I guess you would say that says, hey, you just didn't think you had done anything, but that's why you need, we need to hang in there and never give up. He's, he's, God's good at doing that for us, for sure. I've been blessed. Hey, God has blessed me, Colby. I, sometimes when I'm walking, I get overwhelmed. <laughs> just... I find myself like now, I, I'm walking down and I just find myself weeping because God's done for me. And I'm a long ways from ugh, from deserving. Mm. And I know it. But never abandons you, never gives up on you. Man. Yeah. Praise God. Absolutely. I'm still stuck on. <laughs> what are you stuck on? You taught me the word. You taught me what no means, or you taught me the word no, or something along you that. Told and me that what was, no means. You, you told me what no means, and that was instrumental mm-hmm. in me meeting Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Even, I have no clue what he's talking about. I mean, obviously, we said no a lot of times. You right. No, don't do that, and that sort of. But having firm boundaries may have been the safest, most yeah. stable place that he's ever been. Could be, yeah. And he goes, you know what? That's where I want to be. Is is I want to be, man. Mm. I find, you know, when I was younger, I expected people to change instantly. Another thing I learned from before COVID, uh, Aaron Wheeler was teaching a class like on evangelism. Mm-hmm. And he got just to the point where he, he was teaching us that conversion or coming to Jesus is not an instantaneous right. thing. A lot of the, it can be. Can be. But most of the time, it's a moving of some person from here. From a negative five to a negative three. Yeah. To a negative just, two to yeah, a exactly. plus one. Yeah. And that, that struck me as, yeah, that's, that's what I've been seeing, but I didn't have it ever. Yeah. expressed to me in a right. way that I understood. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate what they've done. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been blessed by so many. B.A. Austin was here when mm-hmm. we started. He was he was a great supporter of us and in many ways. Yeah. Many ways. And then, I don't know if you know it, but we had a boy died in our house. A 12-year-old, I woke up one Sunday morning, he was, he was dead. Mm-hmm. And gosh, that was awful. And the first people to show up my house was Tom Herod from, from the church. I don't know how he even found out to come out. He shows up to the house, and then the church people start showing up. So it was, uh, yeah. 
Praise God for the church. Why? Why? Yeah. I would have never made it through it. Yeah. It, it was awful. Mm. Yeah. So in these last five years, you know, you said you're on autopilot mm. for five years. And mm. then these last five years, what's God been up to? And yeah, it sounds like Aaron and Danielle have been, they were, have been one of the... Absolutely, uh, yeah something that God's used in your life and, and the spiritual formation class that they've led. Mm -hmm. That and uh, um, friends, family. Yeah. Um, uh, part of just coming out of the fog and keep, keeping active. Mm. Uh, I find that if, you, if I stay at home, I, could, I don't get real depressed, but if I just sit at home, I like to read, but after a while, it's just kind of, so you know me, I'm always coffee shops or yep. trying to get somebody to meet me at a coffee shop. Yep. Matter of fact, I'll be there at seven o'clock, very late tomorrow morning. <laughs> so It's a place to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope I got a new guy coming this time. So yeah. see, so now I've, I've got the Bible study fellowship thing on, on Wednesday nights yep. and the elders meetings and, and, uh, I got a guy I meet with on Thursdays and my Friday morning guys and my Wednesday night guys <laughs> and and coffee. Uh, Rand, is it Rand? I can't think. Chantel's husband. Yeah, Randy. Randy, yeah. His name left me. Uh, he asked me. We got together with a college kid here recently for dinner and just encouraged him. And yeah. Randy was the one that did it. I just showed up to be with him. Yeah. But I just... I get up in the morning, Colby. What I do is I wake up. I don't know how long I've been doing this, quite a while. I wake up, and usually, I just, before I get out of bed, I go, Lord, where are you gonna take me today? Yeah. Just give me the strength to say what you want me to say and do what you want me to do and don't look where you don't want me to look and look mm. where you do want me to look and, and be available, so. Here we go, and sometimes I stay home for a while, and sometimes I'm, like today, doing the health fair. A couple ladies needed to talk. I don't know yeah. who, they, I can't even remember their names. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I had a lady I prayed with at the bank the other day, and I, don't, I never see her again, but just opportunities pop up. Yeah. I find I'm, it's frustrating, though, when I miss them. Yeah. You ever miss them? Oh, yeah. And I look back like, no, oh, I missed that one. <laughs> my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, right? Yeah. And even when we miss those opportunities, man, they're the Lord's. Yep. And yeah. Yeah. I've missed so many. But yeah. I've also walked through some doors, you know, and yeah. God you keeps have. opening them. Yeah, but he will. Yeah. I, I, you heard me, I think, at the elders meeting explain. I think my life has been, I always use the analogy of, I said analogy, yeah, of a rock polisher. Mm. There's one of those things, you put water and rocks in it, and you put rocks in it, and you know, they turn, 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 pretty soon, just, yeah. pretty soon it polishes the rocks. And I think my whole life I've looked back, and I think God has just put me in a rock polisher, and it keeps knocking the edges off. And eventually, maybe you'll get them all knocked off, but probably not. I love your ringtone, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> what you said, what you were saying is profound, but the ringtone was pretty funny. Ringtone's good. <laughs> yeah, the rock polisher, that's a... That's one of my guys that wants to meet me at four today. So. There we go. Brother, I love how you're just pouring yourself out, and but you, you know, you've always done that. But praise God that God has you in this more, this sustainable pace, a slower, mm -hmm. healthier, like you're with him and you're working for him. Yeah. You know, like, I've I love it. I've always felt a sense of peace most of the time, but more recently, uh, just, you know, we went through a rough time pre-COVID and COVID yep. and lots of stuff going on. Yep. Uh, 
even during that, I felt like most of the time I had a sense of peace. Yeah. And I just, I wish, I wish I was smart enough or good enough with words to mm. help. I see people, so many people anxious. Yeah. And, and worried. And did I think politics can be upsetting? Yeah. Yeah. Do I think the state of the world? Yeah. But yeah. you know what? I know who's in charge. That's right. And I just keep remembering that. Just keep remembering, you know, don't watch the evening news too much. <laughs> I like to keep track of things, but yeah, you know, uh, some some governor or president or politician's not going to save my life. That's right. They can make life worse or better, but hey, even if it's worse here, it'd be better than it is in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. That's I'm right. Sure. Yeah. So I just, the main thing I just, in my life is just God. It's just, I've got so many stories about how many times God has just blessed me. Mm. But I, can I just tell you, yeah. I just tell yeah. you one of them. Yeah. We were, we were, had three little kids. We're living in a trailer park in Urbana, Illinois. Trailers are, you can't really walk between them. They're that close together in the 19, late 60s. And we had spent every dime we had, probably, I don't think foolishly, but trying to feed, working and going to school, yeah. paying for school and doctors. And and I remember the night we sat there in that mobile home and we were out of food. Now, some people say they're out of food. They mean they're down to a steak in a refrigerator. We were down to nothing. And I remember thinking, Lord, I'm too proud to beg, but how am I going to feed my family? Yeah. Back then, you could float it. I call it float a check. You could write a check at the local IGA, yep, and yep. there weren't electronics, and it wouldn't clear until That's maybe right. Monday the next week. I'd done that until I couldn't do it anymore. And I, what am I going to do? I need some milk and food for my kids. And Kobe, somebody knocked on the door, mm. and they said, uh, <clears throat> we're having a, I think it was a cookware party and none of my guests showed up i need to have some guests to get credit for this party i don't know how that all works but but uh uh i said well i i can't buy anything that's all right i just need guests and so well, we got three little kids we can't well just bring them along with you I says, okay but i'm not sure we can't i cannot buy anything okay i just need somebody to come so we go two trailers down we go in and they they cook this three course, four course meal with dessert, and serve it. And we play a game and and we leave. And I get home and I think, how did that happen? How did that happen? But somebody two trailers down just happened to have a party that nobody showed up for, and it come down to my doorstep. I didn't know him. Yeah. We ate that. I don't know what we did the next day, but we had food that night. Or it the, reminds me of the King's Banquet, you know, where the, yeah, his guests that yeah. he wanted to come didn't come. And he said, we'll get out there and yeah. invite. And they waited on yeah. us. <laughs> Fed our kids and us. Yeah. Wow. Or, the, or the youth minister that went hunting down in Tennessee one time. You single, come home with a wild boar and a wild ram. He says, I don't want it. Could you guys use that? <laughs> So we ate wild boar and, <laughs> and wild ram for, for, for a, while. a it, long time. You eat on that for a long time. Didn't hurt us. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. There's a lot of funny. Yeah. There's a lot of funny stories. We don't have time for it today. But. No, it's good. <laughs> it's good, man. Well, what word of encouragement, exhortation, blessing might you have? For your church fam. Okay. I thought about that, and mm -hmm. here's what I would say. And what I would say just comes from Philippians chapter 4. Mm. And I choose this because in my life in 1998, I was working on the general surgery floor at Freeman, taking care of patients. <clears throat> this was pre-computerized uh, records so I got this clipboard I'm carrying around with me 
and I always had a scripture verse on the top of the clipboard thing. And the verse I had was from Philippians. It says, uh, Philippians 4, and if I get it here, I should know it by heart, but I'm going to read it anyway. Yeah. It's beginning with verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He goes on and talks about what to think about, how to think, which mm-hmm. I think I've got that up above my desk at home, what to think, I think about these things. Mm-hmm. Those up through up until up through verse seven, the peace of God, don't be anxious about anything, was on my clipboard. Yeah. The next week I was in ICU waiting to have open heart surgery. Mm. And you know what was on my mind? Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God mm. will be there. So that's what I would say. You know, don't be anxious about anything. Mm. Just listen to what the Lord says to you in Philippians. Rejoice. Be yeah. glad. Be happy. Be gentle. The Lord's near. Don't be anxious about things. Pray. Petition with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Mm. Present your requests to God. And it isn't the people. Walgreens Pharmacy. Uh, Get out of here, Walgreens. <laughs> They want you to pick up a script. Uh, the peace of God. And that's me. Was, I went into that open heart surgery. I never tell Linda, I'm okay. They're going to take a saber saw and cut my chest in half. And I'm going to reach in there and stop my heart for um, a couple hours. But I really felt a peace. And I've, I still, most of the time, feel that peace. Yeah. Just don't be anxious. Give it to God. I like the, in the last few months, one of my words has been surrender. Mm. Just open your hands up, do your part, and then give it to him. Whether it's the church, you know, we've gone through a lot of things here recently, and I've just thought, you know, I told Sai several times, you know, I hope we don't become a church 200, but if that's what the Lord wants, that's what we'll get. And I'll, have to be, I'll learn to be happy with it and peace with it. I don't think that's the way he's leading us, but yeah. So here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that's my message. Be anxious about nothing. Be thankful. Be in prayer, which we're really seeing a resurgence of. So. That's right. Yeah. I love it, man. I love you, brother. I'm grateful for how you invest in our church and serve us and lead us and grateful for your example and man, your story. God is good. He is. He's good. That's that's the message from my story is it's not about Dick. Yeah. That's it's right. Guys, it's gotta be about him. That's right. I love it, man. Well, amen and amen. Church family, we love you so much. We are grateful. Uh for those that are listening to this and pray that it is a blessing to you. Uh share it with your friends. We'll see you soon.